Welcome to Hit Subscribe, a podcast by Recharge designed to educate, inspire, and connect the subscription commerce space. On this episode, we're talking with Joe Spector, founder and CEO of Dutch. We talk with Joe about his family's immigration to America as refugees from the former Soviet Union and how that journey and his parents' support helped instill within him his entrepreneurial spirit. Joe then walks us through starting HIMSS and the knowledge in e-commerce and telemedicine he learned there before being inspired to start Dutch. We get into the advantages of Dutch's telemedicine approach to pets for owners and animals alike, their onboarding flow for new customers, and why the focus on brand is so important for long-term success. So let's get started. So Joe, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Excited to chat. So I am really excited to get into the history of Dutch, but I know that your personal background is such an interesting piece to this whole uh, entrepreneurship aspect for you. So give us kind of your your brief history from, from where you started to kind of the doorstep of entrepreneurship, and we'll jump into that right afterwards. Sure. So much of what makes me who I am starts with coming to America from the former Soviet Union as a refugee. We came here with my parents with my one red suitcase, uh, lived on welfare for a long time. And I think certainly it's made me be appreciative of the entrepreneurship that America offers as an opportunity. And I think being in the situation I was at, I saw from my parents who basically said like, you're our investment, <laughs> like we're the VC fund, you're, you're the seed stage uh, capital. And if you want to succeed, you know, we'll love you. Um, we'll, we'll support you, but we don't know anyone. We don't know anything. Um, and we need you to go and figure it out. And I think as a result, I've been very comfortable with figuring things out uh, the discomfort, I almost seek that out. Um, I find that to be a place where I feel actually very comfortable and secure. And so after finishing business school, I think that's kind of when I realized that this is the place for me to be as an, as an entrepreneur. I spent now almost 20 years in this space. And after starting hymns and having a, an important hand in expanding our telemedicine coverage, both on the regulatory and operational side, led me to start Dutch and kind of take a lot of those learnings and um, for the first time be a CEO of a company um, that takes a lot of the learnings from HIMS, but finally doing it in my own way. You know, you said something really interesting that getting comfortable in the uncomfortable, every leadership book will have that phrase in there at some point, but very rarely is there a person who can really embody that <laughs> as maybe as truthfully as you have over the last 20 years. So um, it's an incredible story that the journey obviously has been very long and, and very rewarding for you. Um, how did how did him start and where was kind of that falling in love with e-commerce entrepreneurship kind of thing? Um, and then how did that translate over to Dutch? With regard to e-commerce, what drew me to that is wanting to work on products that affect people's daily lives. Um, that's something that gets me going. And I love to, and that wasn't more true with hymns where we saved marriages, we helped people feel more confident in their skin. And when I met Andrew, who's now the CEO of Hymns, um, 
we just started to talk about the idea of what hymns would ultimately become. And for me, between the, the people, you know, someone like Andrew, who was incredibly smart, but the idea itself in my gut, when I walked home that day after our first chat, I could feel that this is just a massive undertaking. And I wanted to be part of like, both in terms of its mission, as well as the difficult journey ahead. Because at the time, most states did not allow for telemedicine to be practiced. And so I loved that challenge. That challenge. Was there, there was a legal piece of this telemedicine that wasn't allowed or it was just, it just didn't happen? Oh, massive. So, you know, we now take it for granted because after the pandemic, uh, telemedicine and so many other remote services are not just, uh, you know, they're expected, they're demanded. But back then, actually, most states required to have a physical exam, like the traditional model, before you could do anything via telemedicine, before you could prescribe something via telemedicine alone. So that was something that had to change. And because healthcare is state by state regulated, mm-hmm. um, had to be changed um, at the state level. And so that's something I spearheaded at HIMSS. And that kind of defeats the purpose of a telemedicine. If you have to go into an office or you have to start, if your step one is physical, the next piece of that obviously is kind of irrelevant. I think a lot of, because when you're using language and using words, I think a lot of people will say some new word telemedicine, even though they're, they're thinking like, I can use this word, uh, like smog and, uh, smoke and mirrors, uh, and mean one thing, like new advanced technology, but really I still mean paper faxes. It's just that for some people, you know, printing out a paper fax from their computer, I mean, maybe that's as advanced tele- technologically as they get. Uh, so there is also just, I think a lot of, to your, there's a lot of word manipulation. Right. But yeah, telemedicine means... I don't come into a physical space ever. It's the same as like this new remote work wave we have. If you are advertising a remote workspace, but it's really, you know, in office three days a week, that's not remote work. You, yeah. you need to define what we're actually talking about here. <laughs> that's right. So, so then it seems pretty logical from you to go to Hims, obviously over to Dutch and, and start this new company. It's still, to your words, telemedicine. It's still telehealth. Um, give us a little bit of info about what Dutch is and, and why you found the need to start a, uh, a pet telehealth company? I think for me, and going back you know, to my immigration journey, it's been important to me to make things more fair for people who you know, don't have a voice, don't have money, um, and increasing access was something that I found personally satisfying at HIMSS. And what I started to realize from a, you know, having a uh, a anxious dog myself is that it's actually pretty incredibly difficult to get veterinary care and that that whole uh, world has completely not caught up to all the advances that we've seen on the human telemedicine side. So I think that was kind of the, the aha eye-opening moment for me. And given everything I did at HIMS on the regulatory and operations side, as well as just building a billion, multi-billion dollar brand, I felt like I was in a 
uh, as best positioned us could be to take a lot of those learnings and do the same thing in vet care. So is it is it as simple as you know you had an anxious pet that was something that made you want to start this and you had some experience or was there was there another uh, another driving factor? I would say the aha moment was uh, was an anxious pet, but I think it was also seeing a pattern recognition mm-hmm. when I started to look at with, with essentially the same team that I had around me at Hims on the regulatory side. When I started to look at the laws that currently exist in the veterinary space, they were very in a very similar place where HIMSS was five years ago. Mm-hmm. So you have a handful of states that allow telemedicine, you know, allow you to establish uh, a relationship with a pet in order to prescribe remotely. Um, and I think, again, the pandemic has been a force to make the regulators, the veterinarians to reconsider the, that in some cases, this is an appropriate way to provide access. Um, so I just saw a ton of similarity and I felt like, okay, this is a great opportunity for me to take those skills and build out a business that takes a lot of the lessons learned from hymns. Totally. That makes a lot of sense. So right before, right before we jump into onboarding flow, I think that's something I really want to dive into today. Um, I, I just want to comment on one more thing, kind of about this whole regulatory issue. It seems like you're you're not only fighting to grow a brand and found a brand and you know create all these kind of things, but you're fighting local laws and state laws and in some cases national laws. Like, was that just like kind of one of those other projects that in a startup you just figure, okay, it's just the next problem to solve, or was that something significantly different that you've just never experienced before? What was that process like? It was definitely something on its face. It was entirely new, but I think I've had a life of um, not just the refugee experience, but so many other uh, pretty um, difficult moments where it was like, okay, this is another thing I need to figure out. And for better or for worse, I, uh, I almost, when I see something that's conflict or insurmountable I almost want to climb that hill even more yeah it's just a mindset of oh you tell me I can't do it okay I'm gonna go do it then (laughs) yep uh you know potentially my life would be a lot easier if I didn't do that um but yeah so I think it was just another it was another obstacle and look like anything else um um, do I wish it was super easy and everyone just said yes like yeah I mean that would be nice um but at the same time um when I think about I mean this is this is the conversation we had at the table when we were conceiving of hymns when we were conceiving of Dutch is that look um if it was easy, everybody would do it. Like right. we're here to solve the difficult problems. And I also think this is why it's important to be a mission-driven business in this case and to understand like who you are. Because like with Dutch, one of our principles is pets first. And so we're always thinking like in this decision, in doing so, you know, are we putting pets first? Are we thinking of pets first? So in in doing that, I think that that's kind of what would always like, even if I had a bad day, would sort of ground me of like, we're, we're on the right side of history, we're trying to do the right thing, we're trying to create greater access. 
And if we keep being on the right side of history, eventually this should prove out itself. I can see a lot of potential different avenues going down this road of lobbying and changing laws and state and local regulations, all these kind of things. So um, being a mission-driven company and being grounded in that um, I think is is really relatable through a, a lot of brands in every industry and in every vertical. I think that, that makes a lot of sense for you. I will say to your, like the other piece, just as an FYI, is um, all the, like the pharmacy, like the pharmacy operations, our veterinarian network, um, this is all incredibly complex. And it's very different than selling, you know, shoes and socks or luggage, um, on the internet vitamins uh it's because that that this that in itself is complex like you said building a brand but the all the operations that state by state the regulatory framework um that makes this a really complex business which is why i think having done it before immensely helps to not you know it took me years to make some of these mistakes definitely yeah, not that selling anything online is easy with supply chains and everything is impacted right now because of COVID, but you start talking regulations and laws and all those kind of things and communications and doctors and veterinarians, and I can see where this gets out of hand very, very quickly. Yeah, and this yeah. is this is either with, with respect to him, it's people's lives or pets, you know, who are almost like your children. So, you know, if a, a damaged uh, piece of good arrives, uh, it's certainly different than something that you're actually uh, putting in your body, something that you need to get better. So that's kind of, I think that the bar is, is even, if, it's like if customers already had high expectations, this is like, couldn't be higher when it comes to your health or, or your pet's health. 100%, 100%, totally agree with you. Let's hop into onboarding flow a little bit because it's actually a nice transition. Like you said, you know, it's very different from selling shoes or luggage or, or vitamins or any of that. Um, onboarding flows are always super interesting to me personally of how people figure out, you know, what am I actually buying and how do the customer experience works, but you're not actually selling a product here. You're selling kind of the consultation. So walk us through kind of what our checkout flow would look like. Um, and let's use your dog's example. So like, if you have a dog with separation anxiety, for example, how does, how does that checkout flow work? What's, what's the process like? Yeah. So one of the, again, one of the most amazing things about what Dutch is doing about telemedicine is that we can take the mind of a specialist in this case, a behaviorist specialist, and there's less than a hundred behavior specialists in this country. So they're far and few in between. And we've worked with several of them to create what a medical visit would look like and essentially scale that across the country. So, you know, if I have a dog uh, like mine who is uh, barking and you know nibbling at my feet and um, behaving in a way that's not normal, I can come to Dutch.com. I can go through what would be um, a very comprehensive medical exam uh, where I'm asked questions. I'm asked um, potentially follow-up questions with a vet in my state. I might have to send um, a photo. Um, and based on that, I get a customized treatment plan then delivered to my door. So the checkout flow is you have your medical exam, you um, 
you, know, you register, have your exam, we authorize your credit card. Another benefit is the entire visit is risk-free. So if you're not a candidate or it's not anxiety, you don't pay anything. And if you are, you get a custom treatment plan, which gives you, um, if you need medication, if, you need, if it's an over-the-counter uh, plan, you get um, a behavior modification plan for your pet. And then you have the ability to message and interact with the vet as follow-ups. And with a lot of these, uh, as part of your subscription membership fee, um, with the conditions we treat, they're chronic. And so in the non-telemedicine world, you'd have to come in again back in person to check in. Um, what makes animals different than humans is their weights can vary quite a bit. So you may find the right medicine even, but you may need a higher dosage or you may need to try a different medicine. So there's kind of a lot of that back and forth that again, telemedicine can help facilitate. There's a whole lot in there. Let's double tap on a couple of things. One being the word risk or the term risk-free. I think that's thrown around a lot on a lot of websites now. I mean, everything's risk-free and free refunds and all that kind of stuff. This is That's actually quite remarkable that you can do a true risk-free offering. You go through the whole checkout process or onboarding process, talk to someone, you kind of figure out what's going on. And if they deem you know this that's actually isn't it, you're not a candidate here, that's free. That is a true <laughs> risk-free opportunity okay. there. Totally. Yeah. You definitely, you had a vet who is licensed, you know, who has passed our criteria to be on our platform, you know, lives in your state. Mm -hmm. And that vet has um, reviewed your information. And yeah, if you're not an appropriate candidate, you don't pay. And so then this is where kind of the subscription model comes in, which is that Obviously, this isn't just, you know, hey, take this one pill and you're good to go for the rest of your life. This is an ongoing thing. So that that's where it, it ends up being this kind of recurring, you know, is the dosage working? Is the medicine working? Are there's the behavior changing? How do we kind of twist and tweak this to make sure we get the right thing? Usually that takes a certain amount of months. Yep, exactly. And so you, go ahead. I was just going to say, this is what like in building this business, um, if you have an anxious dog, you're likely going back to the vet to get simply sometimes a different dosage. Right. Uh, and that's set. So we can facilitate you saving several hours of your day and getting you that prescription delivered to your door, um, you know, all within the convenience of your home. And, 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 by the, and another thing is, and of your pet, right? Because again, this whole thing is like, not only is it inconvenient for you as the pet owner, but you're having to drag this poor animal into a clinic. Uh, we still have COVID where in many states, you're sitting in a parking lot, a stranger takes away an anxious dog. I mean, it's just, it's not pets first, like our guiding principle. That's exactly where I was gonna go next is not only talking human time and savings and all of that effort and energy, but we're talking, you know, this is a true pet issue. And if they have to keep going in and back and forth and cars, obviously a lot of times are, are not friendly for pets. Like that's a huge benefit as well. That is, you can't put a dollar value on that. Yep. And what makes Dutch again, super special is that for these certain conditions, you can have kind of from beginning to end all through telemedicine. Uh, we're not just saying, you know what, 
like, yeah, your dog really needs some help. Go see someone in person. Right. Like back to this notion of uh, the definition of tele- of true telemedicine. Uh, we're able to in, in conditions where you can't appropriately diagnose um, without in person, we can provide someone a full end-to-end solution on our platform. Let's talk through a little bit about drop-off of the onboarding flow. I know that in a in a true kind of e-commerce, you know, we can go back to the socks example. If you're just selling socks, it's it's fairly easy to drop off through the checkout flow. If you're asking what your size, what your color preference, you know, what, all these kind of things, you know, qualifying questions. Do you see much drop-off in the onboarding flow, and how do how do you keep customers engaged? Question after question, if you're doing this whole comprehensive exam. Yep. The key is it. I would say consumer education from beginning, middle, and end. It is definitely, uh, on the one hand, humans have gotten more comfortable with human telemedicine. Pet telemedicine is a newer concept. So it's something where we have to provide, kind of manage expectations and provide education. I think the one thing that's been super interesting is we definitely, we have a very comprehensive medical exam flow but it, I, uh, what's been interesting, both in the data as well as qualitatively, is consumers are saying like, oh, wow, like you guys know what you're doing. And, and by you guys, I, I mean the, the vet specialists who help um, craft the experience. Um, I hope so. That seems like a, a big piece of this. <laughs> but I think, um, you know, usually in uh, e-commerce, you kind of want to minimize the steps here, exactly. I think. Um, maximizing the steps has actually given people comfort, but I think um, what we're intro- continuing to introduce and test is more education along the way to make sure expectations are aligned in the beginning um, and then at the end of like what will happen. Because again, it's not a one and done process. Like you're not just like, okay, my socks are going to be delivered. It's when do I hear from the vet next? What is this medicine for? How often do I take it? So like it, it, there's just multiple things going on. So I think providing education is the thing that minimizes drop off. Even on the front end, before you even start walking through that onboarding flow, a lot of, you know, hey, this is going to take X amount of time. You know, here's what you can expect at the end of this. Well, here's the, the next step once we're through here. Like all of those kind of educational pieces it's total counterintuitive to what you would expect selling socks or selling any other, you know, physical product in e-commerce is you want to extend it. You want to have a lot of education. You want the buyer to be very involved from the front. And it it goes back to like where pets are like your children. So you're not going to mess around with that. Uh, Whereas something else, it's either self-explanatory or, you know, if I buy the wrong size, I can just return it, get a different size. Right. This is like, no, like I can't get this wrong and I need a solution fairly soon to this issue. So it also, it needs to be the right thing. I need to trust it and I need to be able to follow up on this relatively quickly, um, like as far as how I get it and as far as like the next steps on how I manage it. Last question that's product focused. How does pricing work? Because it seems like there's a, a huge network of things that are involved between people, between logistics. Um, and I know obviously the consultations is a big thing. 
um, other than the convenience of, of the actual telehealth telemedicine uh, visit, which I know the word convenience may include a lot of different things, but price seems to be a big one. So how, how does, how does price work with Dutch? We spent and continue to spend a lot of time on our price strategy. We wanted to make our pricing really simple and friendly for the consumer. So for example, our anxiety pricing, it's $39 per month. And that includes your veterinary visit. It includes prescription medication, uh, and it includes the follow-up that you're getting, getting access to as part of your membership. If you think of whenever I visited a vet, I'm usually out several hundred dollars, like period plus time. So it, um, it's definitely competitive to that. We, you know, we want, you know, our, the cost, cost of the medicine is essentially competitive to what you'd find anywhere else. Uh, but then where you're really saving is on the cost of the veterinary visit. And then the, just the general access to a vet pretty much as soon as you're ready to address the issue. When you say follow-ups, you mean essentially like the communication between your, your next month's payment. So all of that communication is included in that $39. That's right. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty impressive. I don't know a single thing about pet medicine and, and what all of these things cost, but I, that definitely sounds as bad as competitive as you're going to get, especially considering that the, to get into the door of any doctor's office is going to cost you 39 bucks anywhere you go. So yeah. And you might not even be able to get an appointment for several weeks um, to begin with, by which point your issue or allergy issue uh, continues to get worse. Totally. So the other really important piece to this whole puzzle, which we've obviously talked a lot about so far, but um, community, I think is a big one. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously neighborhoods, I think in, in the physical world, when you're talking about a doctor's office or a, or a veterinarian, you talk to your neighbors, you know, where do you bring your dog? How does this work? You know, what are the processes you're taking? How are you building this kind of online community since Dutch has launched? How do you create that one-to-one -one interaction? So we have several things, I think, going well for us. First of all, it, um, pet parents, as well as just the influx of new pet ownership during the pandemic, again, think, uh, think of uh, all the first-time parents who uh, coddle and um, helicopter over their kids. I think you see the same trend on the pet side. So there is more interest than maybe in any other field except children for people wanting community, having a million questions because they're doing it for the first time. So there's, there's definitely lots of underlying natural demand. And then we have a network of several dozen you know, licensed veterinarians who are, uh, and, and I think veterinarians are very special people too, because if you talk to them, one trend you see is that many veterinarians wanted to be a veterinarian since they were five years old. So again, unlike so many other professions where you fall into it, you learn about it in college, a common trend is like these people love animals just uh, so much. So that makes it just the most extraordinary kind of community to be a part of and to activate. And on our end, um, we were starting to do more and more. And, and it's something I saw at HIMSS where, where um, we invested in community. It's a lot harder 
with hymns for you know for people to to talk about their own issues. Uh, people are I mean that's another thing. People are uh, more open about whatever's going on with their pets. Um, but There's no gonna, embarrassing factor when you can say, right. "Hey, this person, or this pet yeah, has, it's, has anxiety." It's, it's a lot. Of, it's, <laughs> you can't yeah, respond um, to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know we're we're activating our social channels and um, offering advice from people who actually have knowledge, the veterinarians. Um, but then it also happens um, on the messaging side, you know, for people again as part of their membership they're messaging their veterinarians back and forth. Um, so it happens in private and we'll continue to make more investments um, on the public side uh, to build out the community. Super cool. Community is always a piece of, uh, of the whole pie that I really enjoy talking about. And this is obviously such a unique product and such a unique community. So I'm, I'm always curious to hear how all that stuff plays out. So a couple final rapid fire questions for you. Uh, what's a piece of advice you would give to a subscription brand who's just launching? I would say, think about your product and think about the customer and a subscription model may not be the right uh, way for you to go. So I would just, first of all, make sure you're not forcing that to happen. And I think consumers, if you are gonna offer a subscription, make sure you're providing them with a ton of value every single month. If you're expecting them to come back month over month, that value needs to be there month over month. Yeah. And you got to don't, you know, do the homework for the consumer, like make sure they understand that value month after month. Very much agreed on that one. Let's kind of flip the script and move up market a little bit. What's a piece of advice you give to a brand who has maybe already launched and scaled a little bit, who's trying to kind of keep scaling and get past uh, those revenue, those revenue numbers. Invest in brand. I think a lot of times founders are extremely ROI focused, which is a short-term metric and brand might not show up for a year or more. And those are the investments you need to make today. I think the other advice is um, hire good people and pay for them. And uh, you know, don't be cheap. I think one of the things I, a bad habit I developed as an immigrant back in the, being in a survivor mode is like, I'm sometimes too incredibly cheap. Um, and there are, um, there's sometimes um, a clear correlation between um, how much you pay for stuff and what you get out of it. So I think if you want, you know, high quality candidates, if you want a beautiful brand, you likely have to pay for it and that's okay. It'll be worth it in the long run. Those are both really good pieces. I'm particularly a huge fan of the brand piece. We we get a lot of product people on here who talk about investing in product and processes and all that kind of stuff. And brand is a brand is a good one that not a lot of people recognize all the time. Yeah, and especially you know, again, with what we're doing when it comes to healthcare, people want to feel uh, trust, and a good brand exudes trust and quality that you invested in this, that you showed up, you did, you know, you did the right thing, you did the homework, you wanted to look, if, if you're putting in this kind of effort into how, how something looks and feels, it's signaling you probably care about, you know, the quality of the medicine you're giving me. So I think certainly, again, for a healthcare company, I think it has a heightened sense of importance. Last question for you, what physical products do you subscribe to? 
hymns, of course. Lately, it's been another one is thistle for um, for better, healthier eating um, has been a favorite. Um, and then my wife has uh, Saloon Box, uh, a cocktail subscription business. Uh, so that's always, um, I'm a big fan of that and other kind of direct-to-consumer um, cocktail and wine products, always, especially in the pandemic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone's got to get their fix at some point. <laughs> yeah. But Joe, very inspiring story. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. We appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you for having me. We'd like to thank Joe once again for joining us. If you're interested in Dutch, you can head over to dutch.com. If you're looking for more of our episodes, check us out at rechargepayments.com slash hit subscribe. And to get the latest episodes, remember to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from.